Well, if you've been with us this summer, uh, you know that we have been in the uh, ministry of the prophet Elijah. We have uh, finished that sermon series, and uh, soon we will be resuming our series in the book of Romans. But for the next four weeks, uh, we are going to be spending some time uh, together looking at the new purpose statement that your elders have recently approved for our church. And if you take your bulletins uh, and turn uh, sorry, to the inside uh, panel, you will see that uh, purpose statement on the, the, the panel underneath Missionary of the Week. I encourage you to keep that uh, next to you as uh, we uh, look at it this morning. Uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to be uh, looking at the first half in particular with you. Uh, and our, uh, the text that I'll be using as a primary text is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, as I read uh, this passage for us. This is God's holy word. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray again and ask him to help us as we study his word. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your church. We thank you, O oh Lord, that you are the one who is building your church. You are the one who has given to your church its, its calling, its mission. Oh Lord, we pray that as, as we this morning and the next few weeks think about what that particular calling looks like for us here at Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church, we pray that you would lead us, that you would guide us, Lord, that you would unite us uh, together around uh, these new words of, of purpose, of mission, of, of goal, of passion. Uh, Father, we pray that you would be honored and glorified uh, as uh, we consider from your word all the different ways you have called us to serve you. Uh, Lord, we love you because you have first loved us. And so we do pray that by your truth and by your grace, you would transform us together for the glory of Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I like to ask a lot of questions. And sometimes that can drive my wife crazy, uh, particularly when she's been uh, to a doctor's appointment uh, or uh, someone has, uh, you know, a contractor has come to the house and I wasn't able to be there because inevitably, right, there are questions that I have that, that she just didn't think to ask. And so uh, one of the questions that I often want to ask is the question, why? Right? Maybe you ask this question as well. Uh, why does something work the way it works? Why did something happen the way it happened? Why did something not happen the way it was supposed to happen? Right? Why did someone do what they did? I like this question, why, in part because the, the historian, the student in me is curious, just wants to know stuff, right? But also the the pastor in me wants to get to the heart of the matter. And so that question, why, is a rich question that, that can, can have several layers of, of meaning. Right? On, on the one hand, it, sometimes I'm asking about cause and result and, and, and connections between events, whether unintentional or intentional, whether micro or macro. 
Sometimes I'm asking about motivations and, and reasons why someone did something, uh, the, the, the passions, the desires that drove them. Sometimes I'm asking about purposes and, and goals. What did you intend right, by acting in the way that you did? We've all been in situations where we've been asked to do something uh, that we felt had no reason or, or no purpose at all. It was a pointless task. And we know what this does to our, our motivation, right? To our, to our attitude while doing this thing. It makes us frustrated, confused, apathetic, aimless. I was talking to a young man recently who had been working on a cattle farm and he had been asked to spray a particular fence line with, with, with Roundup in the fever heat of a Mississippi July day. And he was frustrated and exasperated because he knew that not only did, did the weeds, they're going to grow back in a week, right? But he also knew that the cows didn't even graze inside this fence line anymore. And so he's like, why are we wasting time and effort and energy and money, right, to, to do this task that seems completely pointless, completely fruitless? But what if the farmer had told him the definite purpose for which he wanted him to spray this fence line. Maybe it was to prepare the land for future cattle. Maybe it was to make everything look nice for a prospective buyer. Maybe it was because the weed he was spraying was a weed that was an invasive species that could have you know, destroyed the whole farm. Whatever it might be, if that farmer had given him a reason, a purpose, right, then his, maybe his attitude wouldn't have been any different. Right? But at least he would have known why he was working. He would have known that, that there was a reason for it, right? The, the, the purpose gives motivation, gives incentive. It gives direction and focus. It gives even, in some cases, enthusiasm and, and passion for the work that we've been called to do. Well, those are exactly the reasons why our elders have approved a new purpose statement for Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church, or if you prefer, a, a mission statement. Whatever name you give it, the purpose of the purpose statement is, is the same. In the first place, it is declaring explicitly what we believe that God has called us to do as a church so that all of our varied ministries right, will stay laser-focused on the same mission, the same goal, keeping their eye on the ball, as it were, as they make decisions about what to do and what not to do. So it's to give this explicit declaration of what we believe that God has called us to do, but it's secondly to motivate us as we do that work, as we do this work of ministry, as we serve. And finally, it's to enable us to have a more concrete picture of what it is that we are inviting others into. As we share the gospel with the lost, as we invite other brothers and sisters who are not in the church currently to come and to see what it is, is to be a part of Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church. And so our hope over the next four weeks is that for you who are members, that you don't, we don't think and we don't want you to hear necessarily anything new in what we're saying. Because we believe that though the words may be new, nothing in this mini-series should surprise you, right? The purpose that, that, that is written there in your bulletin has long been true of Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church. But we do hope that these words will be clarifying and invigorating for you as you set out and engage in ministry according to your gifts. 
And to you who are visitors, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, our hope and our prayer is that, that these next four weeks will give you a, a deeper and a clarifying glimpse into who we are as a church, who God has, has called his church to be as you consider whether to come to Christ or as you consider whether to make Pear Orchard your church family. Now, uh, we have to say there is a sense, of course, in which uh, every Christian church should have the exact same purpose, right? In the most generic of forms, you know, it's to glorify God by, by gathering and, and growing his people according to his word. Um, and yet each local congregation has unique gifts and unique context, unique vision for ministry and needs to state that purpose in a unique way. And so the words before you that you see there in your bulletin are, are words that, that your elders believe describe the mission that God has called Pear Orchard. This process, it was a long process. Uh, it, it, it began with us uh, asking questions as, as an elder at, at retreats, uh, asking questions like, what is true of us? Right? Who are we? Where are we going? Why do we do what we want to do? Why do we want to do what we do? Right? These questions led us to, to come up with a statement that we tried to keep it succinct and, and memorable. Uh, we, we certainly could have used other words, and so I hope that you won't read anything into the words that aren't there, uh, but, but that you will see that in these words, you have the heart of your session, the heart of your elders, uh, believing this best describes who we are, what our goals are as a congregation. And our prayer is that by putting words uh, to what is true and what we desire to remain true, of us as a congregation, uh, we will continue with even uh, more self-conscious intentionality, right? Deliberateness, uh, on-purposeness, we might say, to live according to this purpose, this mission, to strive for this goal. And so I want us to, to dig in this morning uh, with the first part of the purpose statement. It's actually, as you maybe can, can see by reading, a, a two-part statement. Uh, there's a why proper, right? POPC exists to pursue transformation by truth and grace together uh, for the glory of Christ. And then there's a second part of the statement that, that, that explains what we do to accomplish that why. By faithfully communicating all of God's inerrant word, gathering the lost, and equipping the saints for active participation in ministry. This morning, I'm going to look at that first part, the why. And then over the next three weeks, uh, Carl and Dean and Christian will be unpacking further each of the next three phrases in the statement. So let's dig in. Uh, and I want us to, to, we're going to look at four different things pertaining to this first part of the mission statement, the purpose statement. First, we as a church exist to pursue transformation. We exist to pursue transformation. Now, this is just another way of saying that the purpose of the church, the purpose of Pear Orchard is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Our desire is to see lives changed, the lives of men and women, of boys and girls, to see lives changed from the inside out. Right? We want to see sinners made more and more like Jesus in every way possible. This is exactly, isn't it, what God has predestined us for. What, is, what does Paul say in Romans 8, verse 29? For those whom he foreknew, those whom he chose, God also predestined us to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. This was the end. This was the goal that God had in mind when he saved you. 
And therefore, Paul can write here in our text in Romans 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be metamorphosized is the Greek word. Right? The way that a, that, that a caterpillar changes into a butterfly. Right? Be transformed, be, be completely changed from the inside out. The gospel of Jesus Christ never leaves us unchanged. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what does he say there? We are a new creation in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. If you have been justified, if your sins have been forgiven, if you have been declared righteous in the sight of God through faith in the righteousness of Jesus, then the powerful grace of God has begun a new work in you. And God promises us in Philippians 1.6 that he will finish what he has started. And therefore, as we've read this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, we are to put off the old self. We are to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. If you're a Christian this morning, you have been saved to be transformed into Christ-likeness. To the point that as Paul puts it here in Romans 12.1, we would even offer all that we are to God. Right? That we would present our, even our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Just like Jesus presented his body as a dead sacrifice for us and for our salvation. And so our purpose, our mission, our goal as a church is to pursue transformation. How does Paul put it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5? The goal of our instruction is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The goal is love. That is, we want to see people transformed from being lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of sex and power and prestige, lovers of this world, into lovers of God, lovers of, of neighbor, lovers of the Bible, lovers of the lost. Lovers of the gospel, lovers of one another. That's transformation. That is change. Just as God has first loved us, so the gospel transforms us. It changes us to make us desire to love him and to love those around us. I want you to think about your life. Think about your life right now in August of 2022. What is it in your life that needs to change? All of us have something that we could point to and say, yeah, this needs to change. Is there some sin in your life that you need to put to death? Is there perhaps some fruit that you desire and that you know needs to grow more abundantly in your heart and in your life? Is your relationship with your spouse or your children or your neighbor or, or someone at work, does it need to improve? What aspects of your thinking, your feeling, your speaking, your acting still need to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? What ungodly habits do you need to stop? What godly habits do you need to start? You see, this is why the church exists. This is why Pear Orchard exists, to pursue transformation, change. But how does this transformation happen? Well, that's the, the second point. We exist to pursue transformation by both truth and grace. You see, transformation happens as our hearts are captivated more and more by the glorious truth of God. As we apply that truth 
in our lives. We see that here, don't we, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's as our thinking is shaped and molded by the truth of God that our life is changed. And what truth is Paul particularly referring to here in this passage? Well, in verse 1, he says it, the mercies of God, the compassions of God, the grace of God. He's appealing to us by these mercies, in light of these mercies. That is, in light of the truth of the gospel of grace. The grace of the gospel that he has unpacked for us in chapters 1 through 11 in this great letter. We pursue transformation by truth and grace. Or think of the way Paul speaks of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, we all, that is all Christians, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Do you hear what Paul is saying there? It's as we behold Jesus' glory revealed to us in the word, the truth of the gospel of grace. Because it's the Spirit of Jesus who graciously and powerfully transforms us into the same image that we are beholding in the word. We are transformed by both truth and grace. And we pursue as a church this transformation by both truth and grace. Let's listen to Jesus' words in John 17. When he's praying his high priestly prayer, he prays that we would be sanctified by the truth. And then what does he say? Your word is truth. The Bible, God's inerrant, inspired, authoritative, and sufficient word, it is the thing that equips us as saints for every good work. But think about it. You could come week in and week out. You could sit here under the preaching of God's word week in and week out, Sunday morning and Sunday night. You could go to Bible studies and Sunday school. You could hear the word, the truth but still not be changed. You see, truth to be effectual must be accompanied by grace. God must work. What does Paul say in Titus chapter two? Grace instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. You see, it's the grace of God that transforms us. It's the truth of God that transforms us. And so that little word in the purpose statement, together, is actually doing double duty. It's actually multitasking here in this statement. It not only stands by itself, as we're about to see, but it also goes with truth and grace. We pursue transformation by both truth and grace, by truth and grace together. Think about it. If we only cared about the truth, if we only cared about the truth, then what would happen is our ministry would create prideful legalists who only care about the truth, right? Who, are, who want to be right all the time. But if we only cared about grace, then our ministry would just create careless antinomians. You know what an antinomian is? Anti, against, nomos, the law. Someone who's against the law, who could care less about obeying the law of God, living for God and for his glory. But the truth of God's gospel of grace changes everything, doesn't it? It changes legalists into humble 
lovers of God and neighbor. It changes antinomians into careful keepers of God's law. And so as a church, we are committed to a ministry of truth and a ministry of grace, a ministry grounded in the grace of God and a ministry that walks graciously with others in response to the grace that we have received ourselves. We read it in Ephesians 4, speak the truth in love. I've always appreciated the, the image, the picture of, of you know, truth without love and grace is a skeleton. It's scary. Right? True, grace without truth is, is uh, all muscle and tissue and skin, but with no, no structure, no substance, no form. It's this amorphous blob that you can sort of mold and shape and move around that would, according to the whims and fashions of the culture and the world. But Paul says, speak the truth in love. Be committed to both truth and grace because Jesus came full of truth and grace, John tells us. And so we are to be a church like our Savior, pursuing transformation by both truth and grace. But thirdly, we exist to pursue transformation together. Together. Though God transforms us as individuals, he doesn't transform us individually. Right? That is, he doesn't transform us all by ourselves, with our own strength and abilities and, and sort of us siloed apart from every other believer. No, we pursue transformation together with all the saints. God changes us corporately and he changes us through relationship with one another. Even here in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, the, the verbs that Paul uses, the, the, the pronouns that Paul uses, you can't see this in the English, but you see it in the Greek, they're plural. He's speaking to the church. I appeal to y'all. Y'all be transformed. Right? The church corporately grows and changes together. Growth and change is not something that can happen apart from the body of Christ. And so many in the church Today, the, the, the universal church, so many who would claim the name of Christ, they don't get this. They don't believe it. They don't believe they need the church. They need the body of Christ. But we saw it, didn't we, in Ephesians 4. When Paul wrote in verse 16, the whole body is joined and, and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, Paul's focus throughout his letters is the importance of the corporate body, the church of Jesus Christ. And that church has a structure. It's, it's, it's an organism, but it's also an organization. It has elders and deacons. Right? There's accountability. We need one another. We exist as Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church to pursue transformation together so that each member of this congregation uses his or her gifts to build up and to edify one another. As God transforms you, you become an agent of transformation in the life of someone else. It's like growing corn. If you ever have grown corn before, some of you I know have done this, you know that you need to plant more than one row of corn. Right? If you just plant one row of corn... It's not going to work. Why? Because corn is wind pollinated. And so if you just do one row of corn, right, as the wind blows this way, all the pollen is going nowhere, right? And so your ears of corn are not going to be full and rich with kernels. They're going to be scattered and spotty on each ear, right? 
because you're sort of waiting for the wind to blow this way along the row. But if you grow multiple rows of corn, then what happens? Well, all the pollen as the wind blows this way and that way, and whatever way the wind blows, the pollen is, is hitting the strings and fertilizing them so that the kernels can grow. Corn is, is rich and, and full of kernels as multiple rows next to one another grow and build this beautiful, luscious ear of corn. It's the same to, in, to some degree with blueberry bushes, right? You've got to have multiple blueberry bushes in order to have a, a large crop and harvest. In the same way, transformation, growth, it happens as we are in relationship and community with one another, right? As, as we more and more live life together. If you just show up to worship on Sunday morning, right, but you don't share life from Monday to, to Saturday, then don't be surprised if you're an ear of corn with just a handful of kernels, right? You come on Sunday morning and Sunday evening, yes, to get to know one another, to worship God together, but, but it's the life of the church exists beyond the Lord's day. The Lord's day is, is primary. The Lord's day is, is, is key, is vital. It's where you hear the word of God. It's where we partake of the sacraments. But to be transformed, you need the, the life of the body of Christ throughout the week. And so our aim as a church is to pursue transformation together in corporate worship, in ministry, in Bible studies, in hospitalities, in, in fellowship of all kinds. Well, finally, as we finish wrapping up this first part, the, the why of our new statement, we exist to pursue transformation for the glory of Christ. Right? Ultimately, God's saving work of transforming sinners by his spirit into mature disciples of his son is for the glory of his son. How does Peter end his second letter? Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. But as we see throughout the New Testament, the glorification of the Son redounds to the glorification of the Father. The Holy Spirit renews us and transforms us so that we might glorify God and enjoy him forever, to use the, the language of our Westminster Shorter Catechism. But you cannot glorify and enjoy God if you do not make much of Jesus Christ. He is the one who has given himself for us on the cross right? to redeem us from every lawless deed, Paul says in Titus 2, and to purify for himself a people who are zealous for good deeds, a people for his own possession, a people for his own glory. And so in all of our ministry as a church, he must increase and we must decrease. As we are transformed, we will more and more offer ourselves, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, as Paul says here, and it is our spiritual act of worship. God is worshiped and glorified. His will is done. Even as we come to the table this morning, what is our goal but transformation, growth, change, an increase of faith and hope and love? And it's transformation by the truth of the gospel of grace. As we together come to this table, we gather around the table of the Lord corporately, together as a, a body, humbling ourselves, declaring our need of our Savior and giving glory to the Savior for what he has done for sinners like us. Now as I close, let me just make one more comment about this statement. And it's about 
sort of the, the, the first word. We exist to pursue, to pursue. I don't want you to miss. This, in some ways, this is one of the most important words of the statement. Why? Because it reminds us that this purpose, this mission, this goal is not one that will happen completely in your lifetime. This mission, this purpose, this goal, it outlasts even the existence of Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church. Why? Because change, transformation is a process. It takes time. Ministry takes time. It's not over until you die or until Jesus comes again. And until Jesus comes again, there is generation after generation after generation that need to be transformed, that need to be made disciples of Jesus Christ. And so I want to leave you with this challenge, right? That ministry is something that we pursue. The job is never finished. And it's hard work. It's challenging. How does Paul, you know, speak of it? He uses in 1 Corinthians 3 the language of, of, of farming, agriculture, planting, and watering, knowing that all along God is the one who gives the growth. He speaks in Galatians 4 verse 19 in this way. He says, my little children and with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Right? Labor, an imagery of pain and agony and, and, and struggle. He speaks in 2 Corinthians 12 of spending and being spent on behalf of the Corinthian church. The point is this, in ministry, your ministry, our church's ministry, we've got to take the long view with people. We have to know that God is always at work, although sometimes he works a little more slowly when, than we wish, right? But when that happens, throughout all of our ministry, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, we don't want to run aimlessly. We don't want to box as beating the air. We want to have a purpose. We want to have a goal. And so I encourage you to take this purpose statement as your own. If you belong to this church, say yes, memorize it, right? Cut it out, stick it on your dashboard, use it as a bookmark, learn it, imbibe it, have it be a part of you, that you as a part of Poetry Presbyterian Church, you too exist to pursue transformation by truth and grace together for the glory of Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you for the work that your elders have done in submission to you and your word prayerfully to come up with this statement. Lord, I thank you for the joy and the privilege we have now to, to unpack it together over the next few weeks. Lord, would you be pleased to give us a, a heart, a vision, a, a desire, Lord, to see this transformation happen. Lord, would your truth and your grace do what only it can do. And Lord, would you cause our love for one another to grow as we labor together in common cause with a shared mission, a shared vision, Lord, of what you are doing, what you are up to here at Pear Orchard. Lord, we thank you for our church. Lord, we pray for anyone who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would long to be changed, even as you have changed us. Now, Father, we praise you and thank you for the opportunity we have now to come to your table. Lord, thank you for the means of grace, the way that you grow us up through the, the truth of the gospel, even that gospel visually seen and, and sensibly touched and tasted. And, oh Lord, would you come even now, prepare our hearts to commune with Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.